0: Let's continue to walk through the life of David. We're at really an interesting, interesting spot right now. So if you remember last week, we talked about this interesting story of Nabal and Abigail. How many, how many of you remember this? Kind of a bizarre story of a rich guy who's kind of a jerk, and then he gets what's coming to him. Uh, and now David is continually on the run from Saul so what you need to know from, from then to now, we're skipping a couple chapters, and again, if you want to follow along, you can use the version Bible app on your smartphone and go to the bottom right, hit more, hit events, and Liberty Christian Church should pop up, and then all of the notes, all of the scripture, you can follow along right there. David had an opportunity again to kill Saul that he forgoes. So a handful of weeks ago, we talked that uh, Saul was taking a nap in a cave, and David and his men were hiding in the back of that cave. David could have killed Saul, but he said, "No, this is not the time. I, I, this is not my job. This is God's job to deal with. I, I'm just going to continue to do what I do." And he even had to hold back his men, and it was, it was quite the ordeal. And then David is hanging out in the ball. He's really frustrated, but then he has another opportunity to kill Saul, sneaks into his camp, steals the spear in his water bottle, and he still doesn't take that chance to kill Saul. But then he's still in fear for his life. And so now... He goes and he hides out with the enemy, and he kind of is deceiving, and he tells the, the king that he's staying with that he is attacking the Israelite people, when in reality, he's lying about where he's attacking. He's not attacking the Israelite people, but David has completely uh, gotten the trust and built the trust with this king, in um, the Philistine king, and that's where we're going to begin in chapter 28 today, and I want to start with a question. Or really, is more of like a thought. In our culture, in the United States of America, and in a lot of places of the world, we teach this false theology that you should do whatever makes you what? Happy, right? We hear it all the time. It's That's how advertisers make their money. They want you to think that you need something that you actually don't, and if you get it, it'll make you Happy And oftentimes in our culture, we say, oh, it doesn't matter what relationship ties you break. It doesn't matter who you hurt. You should just do whatever makes you happy. And in reflecting in King Saul's life, I think this is the route in which he took. He did whatever made him happy. If it meant he had to forgo worshiping the one true God, then he chose to do that. If, if it made him feel happy to build an idol of himself and worship himself, that's what he did. Again, the world revolved around Saul. He really drove everybody away from him, and that's what we're gonna see today. Samuel, the prophet who uh, anointed him as king, Saul uh, abandoned God. He ran away from God and started doing whatever he wanted, again, whatever would make him happy. Drove Samuel away, drove God away out of his life. Uh, drove David away a lot of his family members and so really what's happening in his kingdom it's beginning to crumble and he has nobody left to turn to because he did whatever would make him happy which drove everybody away and now we're going to pick up in chapter 28 where he is going to consult in witchcraft because he has nowhere else to go So here we go. It's a doozy. It's kind of an interesting passage to reflect on. So I encourage you to follow along. And there's a lot of just different thoughts we have to work and process through of why did God give us this in the Bible? What's its purpose? So chapter 28, verse 1, about that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. So again, the the Israelites and the Philistines have been battling for for decades and decades. Saul continually had to protect his people from the Philistines, just back and forth and back and forth. So now the Philistines are mustering their army again. They're getting everybody together. It's going to be a giant, big battle, just like the end of the Lord of the Rings King Ashish told David, so again, David had completely gotten the trust of this uh, king in the Philistine territory, completely by deceit. So the king told David, you and your men will be expected to join me in battle. And David says, very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. So he's lying. I, I don't think he was going to go out and attack his own people that he knew he was going to be king over. He probably had some plan. But again, his plan is already foiled because uh, Ashish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard. And what happens is they go. The Philistine camp gathered at the army. Uh, they gathered the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. And they actually uh, banned David and did not allow him to fight with the Philistines because King Ashish comes and and brings David and the rest of the people are like, what are you doing? This is David. This is the guy we've been battling. And the other king is just completely bewildered because David had gotten his trust. Okay, Verse three, so meanwhile, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown. And Saul, this is an important note, had banned from the land of Israel all mediums, and those who consult the spirits of the dead. So, consulting a medium was outlawed. This is like witchcraft type stuff. And it was punishable by death. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 4 The Philistines set up their camp in Shenem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa when Saul saw the vast Philistine army. Well, just imagine. Saul's army is dwindling. They're all discouraged. Things aren't going super well. Nobody likes hanging out with Saul. He's kind of a jerk. And then they go over the hill, and they see the army that they're going to face. And Saul's like, oh, no. This is the end. Again, he did whatever made him happy, and this is what he chose. This is what he chose for his life. So in verse 5, when Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do. So now he turns to the Lord after he has turned his back on the Lord either by dreams or by sacred lots or by prophets. Silence. Everybody had abandoned him. Samuel wasn't there. David had abandoned him. There's no prophets that, there's no uh, visions or dreams. Saul was completely by himself. I think Saul had a pretty interesting relationship with Samuel and with David. Have you guys seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? It's one of my favorite movies. Have you guys seen this movie, Leonardo DiCaprio? It's a great one. What what I like about the movie is that this FBI agent is chasing uh, Leonardo DiCaprio throughout the movie, and they kind of form this friendship, even though that they're enemies, even though that this FBI agent is attempting to arrest him at every given turn and... At the end, you see this kind of beautiful friendship had blossomed, but they're still enemies. I think that's kind of the relationship Saul had with Samuel and with David. Although they were his enemies, although he attempted to kill them at every single step that he could for David, not for Samuel. He was too terrified of Samuel. But for David, he attempted to kill David at any step. Yet, I think, in reflection, David was probably one of Saul's closest friends And as was Samuel, people that he would go to when he didn't know what else to do. And now even his enemies had abandoned him. Nobody wanted to hang out with him. He was completely alone. And I think that he was feeling it. You see that giant army, no visions, David isn't around, Samuel is gone, and he's just isolated and alone. And again, my reflection is this, this is what he chose. In the book of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says this. This is a phenomenal verse. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at God. How many of you can relate to this? You make a decision in your life, and then you're like, God, why would you do this to me? Why am I experiencing all this loneliness and pain and emptiness? And then you take a step back, and you realize it's your fault. (laughs) It's not God's fault at all. You got your own self into that mess. That was not God's fault, but your own. Saul got himself into this mess. He chose to completely abandon God. He chose to worship himself. He chose, if you remember, to murder a ton of priests, their women and children. He made some terrible, terrible choices in his life. And, And Samuel says God had left him and will tear the kingdom from him. Saul, this is what you Chose. So, Saul in verse 7, he said to his advisors, again, not a prophet, no, not anyone spiritual, just, just basically his buddies hanging out. What should I do, you guys? And he, his advisors said, This terrible advice. Find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. Saul told his this to his advisors: Find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there is a medium at indoor, not Star Wars reference right now, okay? I, I, I had some jokes worked up, but I'm just gonna let those ones go. I've been referencing Star Wars too many times, people. There might have been some Ewoks there. Okay, let's move on, okay? That's not an indoor, is it? Is it? That's, that is right, I'm right, okay. Thank you. <clears throat> his advisors replied, There is a medium at indoor. So, verse 8 Saul disguised himself and wear, by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his kingdom clothing, because here's the deal. It was illegal to consult a medium. Saul had made it illegal. It was punishable by death. And it says this in the Israelite law, back in Leviticus. If you have your, your U version of the Bible app, you can follow along. The words will also be on the screen. Leviticus 19, verse 31 says, God says, Do not defile yourself by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, verse 6, I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult the spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. The core of what this sin is, is idolatry. You're putting this witchcraft in the place of God. Now, never in the Bible does it say that consulting these spirits is impossible. People say, oh, this is a spiritual world, alive. Yeah, I think so but should we consult mediums and people who consult with the dead? Absolutely not. Terrible idea. And in the Israelite law, punishable by by death. Leviticus 20 verse 27 says again, men and women among you who act as mediums or who consult of the spirits of the dead must be put to death by stoning. They are guilty of a capital offense. Exodus 20 verse 3, again, uh, the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods, before me. The the root of this sin is idolatry. Saul has nowhere else to go. God has been silent because Saul has chosen to completely abandon God. So Saul, in his anxiety, in his fear, nowhere else to go. So he goes and he consults a medium, which he condemned himself. He knows how terrible this sin is, yet he chooses to do it anyways. What do you think happens? So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing. And again, what we need to take note of is consulting the spirits of the dead. Is it possible? Yes. Should we uh, avoid it at all costs? Yes. Like, I don't know how many of you guys are horror movie fans. How many of you are in that ballpark? Some people just like that. I like, you know, thriller type movies and stuff. But anytime I've seen, you know, like the demonic type stuff, man, it's just, I can't do it. It's terrible. It's awful. And we shouldn't mess with that stuff at all. The, the craze of the Ouija boards, consulting spirit to the dead stuff. That's, you don't want to have that influence in your life. You don't want to mess around with it at all. Stay away. Scripture is clear. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing. Instead... Of his royal robes. So, what's happening? Again, Saul had banned this. He says, This is illegal, not okay. And then he he goes and he does it anyways. Kind of like politicians today ban insider trading and they just do it anyways with no consequences, right? (laughs) This is going to get flagged on the internet for sure.
1: (laughs) And then he went to the
0: women's home at night accompanied by by two of his men. So, again, he's, he's being sneaky. He knows this is completely, completely out of line, completely wrong. So he says, I have to talk to a man who has died, he says, as he's talking to this medium. He said, will you call up his spirit for me? And she replies, are you trying to get me killed? Again, she knows it was punishable by law. Somehow his advisors knew where she was. Why? I don't know. That's a little sketchy if you ask me. And she says, "Are, are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead, why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord. What a slap in the face at this point. Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, because his promises are worth so much, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? And Saul responds, call up Samuel. Man, so this is where uh, it gets kind of crazy. So, this woman who is a medium and consults spirits of the dead. What I have read is she could have had some relationship with a spirit that came up and pretended to be people that, uh, like her clients. They say, "I want to talk to my grandfather." She pulls up a spirit that she had some relationship with, and they come up and say, "You know, I am this person." Where in reality, it's not. Because what's interesting in this passage is she is terrified as well. She knew who Samuel was. Everybody knew who Samuel was. So when Saul says, call up Samuel, she is no, she's terrified, I think. You can, you can see it. So she, can, she says, whose spirit do you want me to call up? She's calling up these spirits. Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, you've deceived me. You are Saul. The king says in verse 13, don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? And she responds, I see a God or gods coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like? Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. This is kind of a crazy passage, isn't it? So you're saying, here's my reflection. We know it's, scripturally speaking, in this era, again, punishable by death to consult the spirits of the dead. Yet still, God uses this to teach us a lesson. God oftentimes in Scripture uses terrible things for His sovereign plan. If you think about it, uh, again, God can use anything He wants. In the book of Numbers, He uses a donkey, right? Right? to get in communication with Balaam the prophet. In the book of Job, he uses even Satan's plan and his evil plan in the book of Job to prove the faithfulness of Job. And he uses, I believe, in 1 Samuel 28, Saul's arrogance to prove that consulting in these spiritual mediums is uh, terrible and will bring forth definitely pain and potentially death. Later on in the Bible, in 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13, it says this. So Saul died because, we'll talk about Saul's death in a little bit. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. This is why. He was unfaithful to God. He failed to obey the Lord's command, and he even, it says, he even consulted a medium. He went to the lowest of the lows where he was attempting to go behind God's back and consulting these other false Lowercase g, gods. These spirits that he shouldn't have even been dealing with. He went to these lows of the lows. God can use even terrible things to teach us wonderful lessons. Like, don't mess around with this stuff. So Samuel does come. Some theologians think it, was, it wasn't actually Samuel, but I think it's pretty clear it was Samuel. Which also begs the question, as we reflect What happens when we die? I mean, I don't know if you guys think about this a lot, and maybe have like an existential crisis sometime. The last couple of years, again, you look at the news, you see like a death count. I mean, that's really helpful, isn't it? This is how many people have died. How come we didn't have that before? I'm just saying, you know, let's just have a death count all the time. Every time we can just look, how many people die every single day? How many people find that helpful? Does anybody find that helpful? Just me? I don't think that's helpful at all. It's, It's terrible, but it does make us think about death, which is a real thing, which we will all face eventually. And we ask, what happens when you die? I believe that the moment that you pass from this earth to the next, you will be immediately in the presence of Jesus. Can I have an amen from the church? It's a wonderful hope, isn't it? When the criminal is dying next to Jesus on the cross, Jesus turns to the criminal and says, today you'll be with me in where? Paradise, today. But we also know that the true end of the end is coming, where Jesus will return and defeat Satan once and for all. And it says he will create a new heaven and a new earth. The encouragement of this is imagine eternal life, not in any way we think of life right now. Imagine all the things that you love about living on this planet, which there are a lot of things to love. Imagine all the things you love, and then just Erase all of the terrible things. How many of you would want to live in a place like that? Sounds great, doesn't it? That's our eternal hope. But right now, it's not that time. So there's some sort of spiritual world in between where people are still in the presence of God, but the end of the end has not yet come. And I believe this is the spot where Samuel is at. So this woman, again, this medium calls up Samuel. God allows Samuel to come. Call up Samuel. Saul replied. The woman saw Samuel. She screamed, "You've deceived me! Don't be afraid." The king told her, "What do you see?" She says, "Again, I see a god coming up out of the earth." She said, "What does he look like?" Saul asked. "He's an old man wrapped in a robe." Saul realizes it was Samuel. Fell to the ground before him. Samuel responds in this spiritual form, "Why have you disturbed me by calling me back?" Samuel asked Saul. Again, remember, Saul has driven everybody away. He was trying to get access to Samuel. Who he knew didn't like him very much, and who Samuel is the one who told him that he would no longer be the king of Israel, that it would be torn away from him. But Samuel just needed to talk to someone. He just needed to talk to someone. So, why have you disturbed me, Samuel asked Saul? Because I am in deep trouble. Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me. God has left me, won't reply by prophets or dreams, so I have called for you to tell me what to do. Look at where the do-whatever-makes-you-happy has gotten Saul. We need to reframe, change and reframe this phrase, do-whatever-makes-you-happy. I've been working with some uh, people who have been struggling with their marriage, and I was just reflecting... A couple weeks ago they said to me, and the marriage is melting down, said, Well, just you know, well, just do whatever makes my spouse happy. Do whatever makes me happy, right? No, 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 no. We want to do whatever makes you holy. Can I have an amen from the church? Because <laughs> a lot of things make you happy. Hurts a lot of people. But what will make you holy? That you work together, you work through your trauma, you work through the pain that you've inflicted on one another, let's say, within your relationship, within your marriage, and you will come out happy on the other side. You see, we say the grass is greener on the other side, but the truth of the matter is, the grass is greener where you water it. That hurts, doesn't it? Oh, it's all better on the other side. You get to the other side and realize all that pain you went through, this person you were with for more than a decade you knew them, and now you're back in the dating world. i mean, that's not fun. But that's what culture says. Do whatever makes you happy. Sleep around. Have multiple sexual partners. That's what will bring you true joy. Going to the bar every evening. No. These people are depressed. That's why they're drinking. I'm just kidding. It's too far. That doesn't make you happy. Again, we got to reframe how we think. Do whatever makes you holy. That is what will bring true joy in your life. Saul's mind frame was, do whatever makes me happy. And it got him in this place where he is alone facing death. It does say his sons are around him, but we know that, again, one of his sons, at least Jonathan, was completely loyal to David. It was just waiting to be David's right-hand man. So Samuel says, the Phil- uh, Saul says to Samuel, the Philistines are at war. God has left me. when will reply by prophet's dreams. I have called for you to tell me what to do. I have nobody else to go to. And Samuel Samuel replies with this. Why ask me since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? Ouch! The Lord has done just as he said that he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. Saul, this is what, do whatever makes you happy. This is where it has brought you. The Lord said he would do this, and this is what's happening. The Lord has done this, verse 18. The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out the fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me in death. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Do you think that this is what Saul wanted to hear? (laughs) He was already terrified. He'd already gone to the lowest of the lows where everybody has been silent to him. No prophets, no visions, no dreams that have saved him before. Samuel is gone. David is, he doesn't know where. He's alone. Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. I think this is the first time Saul finally realized what he had done. But again, we, we see no repentance. He's just terrified. Lays out on the ground, can't even move. Have you guys been in this situation before? When you just can't move because you're so scared? He was also faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. So again, this just tells us the place that where Saul is. He's not eating. He's uh, extremely anxious. He's got to be anxious going to a place, consulting a medium where he had uh, said it's punishable by death just before. And the woman who consulted the medium saw how distraught that he was. She said, sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. Saul refused to eat. The woman fattening the calf, she hurled, she gave him some food, he ate and he went out on his way. And then what we will see uh, is that right after this, Saul goes to battle and he will meet his end. It's finally over. And my reflection is at the end of his life, Saul had nothing. He chose everything for his earthly life and nothing for his eternal life. And in our spiritual walks and in our walk with God, we have to learn that if we have nothing, we have actually gained everything. When we realize it's not about how much money we have, it doesn't matter how, quote, successful that you are. What matters is that we are holy, that we pursue God, that we uh, stay true to His sovereign will for our lives, that we're all called to full-time ministry, and that we honor that. We teach people about Jesus and And we let God transform us from the inside out. And my reflection is this. God gave Saul a choice. Saul chose to abandon God. And uh, sometimes when we we make decisions, uh, there's like delayed consequences. So Saul made the choice to build a statue to worship himself. Saul made the choice to completely abandon God, to murder people. And what he found at the end was consequences and eventual physical death for him time and time again in scripture it says that god gives us a choice god is not one that forces people what to believe look what joshua says in 24 verse 15 he says in the old testament speaking to the israelites and again if anyone knew the the idea of going back and forth between worshiping idols and worshiping the one and true God, it would be the Israelites. Just read through the Old Testament. That's all that they do, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Joshua says this, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. It's very important to note that God, even back then, as he does today, gives them and gives us a choice. You can choose to follow God, or you can choose to follow your own desires, whatever makes you happy. That doesn't mean you have to be depressed your entire life, right? If, if something fulfills you, if it's God-honoring, then pursue that. That's not what we're talking about. But when it comes to sin and hurting people and doing whatever makes you happy, we want to transform that to do whatever makes you holy. God gives you a choice, and you, he gives you the right to choose to make those choices. But then you can't get your life in a mess and then blame it on God. It was your own fault. And the, the beauty is, for the followers of Jesus... Is that you are changed from the inside out. And even if we do abandon God, we come to Him, we repent of our sins, He transforms us from the inside out, and we stand before God at judgment day and we are seen as clean in the eyes of God. Wider than snow. Can I get an amen? That's the hope of the gospel. That's what we believe in. That's what we teach. It's true. But God gives us a choice. Again, Joshua says, You refuse to serve the Lord, choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Choose, he says. But as for me and my family, he says, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're doing. This is what we know is right. But I'm not forcing you to choose what I have chosen. We, are, we often get caught up that in our culture. Listen, we believe that this is right. We're not forcing that on anybody else. But we will stand true to what is in the Bible and what God teaches We won't compromise scripture. We won't compromise the gospel, even if culture says we have to. But God gives us a choice. Saul chose to do whatever, quote, made him happy. And my reflection is this. At the end of Saul's life, all that he found and all that he had was loneliness and pain. He goes out to the battlefield he knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to lose. And he, in fact, he dies with his sons all around him. It says they closed in. It says the Philistines, this is verse 31, uh, chapter 31. They go off to battle. Philistines closed in on Saul's sons. They killed three of his sons, Jonathan, who was David's best friend forever, right? Abinadab and his other son, who's got a crazy name. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul. The Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come and run me through it and taunt me and torture me. At the end of Saul's life was loneliness and pain. Again, sometimes we make choices in our life of, this is what makes me happy now, (laughs) right? We have no sense of delayed gratification, do whatever makes you happy now. This is what we're used to. Search it on Google. Get answers now, now, now. The problem is how God works in our life often takes a long time. It's not like you come to God as a sinner. Again, immediately you believe in Jesus, you are saved. But the course of purification takes a long time. He's continually molding you and, and working you. But the goal is that we're continually seeking God and moving forward towards him inch by inch. Pursuing holiness This is what scripture says 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 Paul says since we have these promises of what God gives us beloved let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to the completion to completion in the fear of God 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14 through 16 this is where we're going to end Peter says to the church, as I will refer to you, so you must live as God's obedient children. This isn't legalistic. He says you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires, because he says that's not who you are anymore. You have a new name. You have a new life in Christ. Act like it. He says you didn't know any better back then, but you know better now. Saul knew better. But now, he says in verse 15, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you is holy. God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy for I am holy. So we don't want to do whatever just makes us, again, happy. Oftentimes that hurts a lot of people around us. We have to keep the eternal perspective in mind that we do whatever makes us holy. Holy. If that means you're having a a rough go in your marriage, you buckle down, you work it out, you pursue Jesus, and by the grace of God, hopefully he brings healing to that marriage. There is uh, radical times that divorce is the only option, but if you can at all times, work it out, work it out together, pursue Jesus in your life, not just whatever makes you happy, you do whatever makes you holy. And my reflection is at the end, if you don't, oftentimes what we will find is loneliness and emptiness as Saul did in pain. Let's focus our lives on the eternal, not just what happens here, but what happens after here, which lasts forever. Let's pray. And Our team's going to come. We're going to continue to worship together. God in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing our church family here today, and I pray that we as a church uh, seek holiness and not just happiness, that we do what what fulfills us and and we do what you have called us to do, that we we know that we are called to full-time ministry, each and every one of us, the followers of Jesus. We know that Jesus has cleansed us from the inside out, that when we stand before the judgment seat of God and if we are Followers of Jesus, what God will see is Jesus' sacrifice. That we are new people in Christ. So I pray maybe today someone gives their life over to you. Maybe someone has pursuing what the world tells them. Do whatever makes you happy. Let us pursue Jesus and, and holiness. that we can be the community that you've called us to be, that we don't get sidetracked by what the media tells us about the division and the the anger, but God, we pursue holiness, we pursue love and compassion, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that we are quick to listen and slow to anger. that you transform us and we sense your presence. I pray that right now in this chaotic world that here in this very room we can sense the comfort of your Holy Spirit working in our lives, purifying us, making us holy. That if we have messed up that we repent of that. We give it over to you And if there's repentance, it'll always be met with forgiveness. So let us give our lives over to you. Let us pursue Jesus. Let us pursue holiness. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.